0: Promise me you'll always remember you're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Today, on episode 62 of Teaching in Higher Ed, I talk with Dr. Rebecca Campbell about mindset. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and also be more present for our students. So happy today to be welcoming to the show, Dr. Rebecca Campbell. She was actually recommended to me by Dr. Michelle Miller, who was on teaching in higher ed back in episode 26. Rebecca is the associate professor of education and the director and department chair for academic transition programs at Northern Arizona University. Rebecca, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Bonnie.
0: I wonder if you might start sharing about your role, because it's a little bit different than some of the people that we've had on the show, since you clearly have the academic piece of your work, but also a lot in terms of student support. Could you share a little bit about your role there?
1: Oh, I'd love to. I have the greatest job in the world, I think. As you said, um, my faculty home is in the Department of Educational Psychology in our College of Education. Um, where I was wonderfully well-supported and had a great um, time and teaching career. But my passion and love has always been with working with first-year students, particularly those who are admitted to the university academically at risk or maybe psychosocially at risk. Um, So I've always had a hand in that. And over time, that's evolved into a full-time administrative appointment um, as the director of this department, which you mentioned, Academic Transition Programs, and we focus on essentially the transition from high school to college. So we welcome several thousand students who are regularly admitted and help ease their transition, um, both socially and academically, into the university environment. And then we also have uh, several different um, at-risk groups of students we work with students who, again, are admitted at risk, um, meaning their high school core GPA was a little not quite where we might would have wanted it, um, so they need some extra academic and social support, as well as we work with our students on academic probation. And So that's what the department does. So we focus all day, all the time on student success, which is a challenge as, as well as very energizing.
0: I had a lot of fun researching your background a bit for this episode, and it included coming across your blog, which I think it starts with a quote from A.A. A. A. Milner, at least it's very early in your bio, from his character Christopher Robin, promise me you'll always remember you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Why was that the quote you decided to, to highlight so prominently on your bio?
1: Um, I think because it, it has such a foundational reference to the work that we do in the department. Um, so many aspects of that quote relate to mindset and self-regulated learning. Um, the bravery, strength, and intelligence um, piece are, are all highlighted there. And sometimes students underestimate themselves as well sometimes students um, overestimate themselves. Um, but the the quote I think focuses on that growth aspect of mindset um, that you're more than you ever seem in any any dimension. Um, and I love that piece to Promise me you'll always remember. Um, I think that's it, it's such a vote of confidence. It's Christopher Robin mentoring Pooh, saying you've got this. Remember <laughs> you've got it. Um, so there's that cheerleading aspect um, of it. Then and also that reminder. You're your own best self-advocate. You need to remember these things. You need to advocate for yourself. You need to motivate yourself um, and have that confidence. So it's just really core to what we do in my department.
0: I have a friend who does a podcast and a blog called Student Caring, and right now he's spending a lot of time on Twitter finding a lot of tweets from students that are about to start college for the first year and just that anxiety that they feel. And it's so great to watch him and his colleague just really encourage them through little 140 word tweets just going. And and you reminded me of it. You've got this, you've got this, you can do this. But a lot of times people didn't really grow up with anyone nurturing a mindset in fact some young people we know grew up with the opposite of that and just how tragic it is because we're starting to see what the effects are with what we believe we can do or can't do when did you first start getting interested in the research on mindset what what do you remember about that
1: um i i think i was i know i was first introduced uh, to mindset and and all things motivational in my cognitive and and learning courses um through my graduate program at Texas A&M University, um, as well as I did my dissertation work on uh, a, a piece of that was focused on epistemological beliefs, which is sort of like mindset, a little bit different, but it's it's about those beliefs that we as individuals have about where knowledge comes from. Um, and so some of that's very tied to mindset theory. If you believe that the faculty member possesses the knowledge and is handing it over, that puts you in a very fixed place state, um, where either you get it or you don't, as opposed to, oh, if I didn't understand it when the faculty member said it, maybe I can get it out of the book, or YouTube, or Wikipedia, or office hours, or a tutor, or, or, or. Um, So if you don't believe that knowledge is fixed coming from one entity, um, then
0: you might engage in more help-seeking behavior, and that's
1: definitely what we want students to do, engage in help-seeking behavior.
0: So help us just dis- make the distinction then between the type of research you did on those beliefs around knowledge, and then how mindset is different than than that.
1: Yeah, great question. Mindset, I think for me, the distinction is it focuses more on effort. Um, mm. So that you, if you have a growth mindset about any dimension of, of yourself, any attribute, um, although Dweck's work, I think, primarily early on focused on Um, intellectual capabilities as well, but I think we now see it um, broadening to um, other dimensions. But once you have a growth uh, mindset, in other words, I believe I can improve, then the natural consequence of improvement is effort. So through effort, through practice, through skill acquisition, through time, through energy, I can get better at this. Um, And that's what we need students to do. If you have a fixed mindset, you believe you're as good as you'll ever be. And if that's what I believe about myself, then there's really no point trying any harder or doing any more than I'm already doing because it's not going to produce better results.
0: And speaking of the mindset, I don't want to start mixing my terms here, but how do you see faculty having a mindset, and maybe I should pick a different word, with with students as they come in feeling like they either have it or they don't?
1: That's, really interesting on a number of, of levels. What we would hope is that faculty have a growth mindset about their students um, and that they're fostering that. So they believe their students can get better through effort and, and they're cultivating that through, through their engagement with students. Having a growth mindset in the classroom isn't so much about teaching differently as it is about framing the conversation differently. Um, highlighting the effort that's needed, rewarding effort, um, and acknowledging that some learning is hard and it takes a while to get it, and that's okay, um, and helping students build confidence through all of that effortful process. Um, and I'm not sure if that's exactly what, what you asked. I know students or faculty, we believe sometimes faculty have this, you're, you're in or you're out. Look to the left, look to the right, some of you won't be here. I think which was the fixed mindset of, of maybe 20 years ago. Faculty that I've encountered really don't have that um, sort of dualistic thinking that they're ready to go out of the box or they're not. Um, I, I I love my faculty. Uh, <laughs> I love my faculty, my department, but my colleagues don't seem to have that very shallow interpretation of students these days.
0: Yeah, it sort of reminds me of I've, I never went to law school, but it reminds me of early people telling stories of the early days in law school, that, that kind of thing that, that some of them yeah. would promote. Yeah. <laughs> well, in that, um, in our,
1: and you hear, you know sometimes those negative stories of colleagues who say, "Well, they're not coming to class because they don't care." Um, we use the word "performance barrier all the time. Well, they're not coming to class because there's a performance barrier. What is that barrier? Is it a personal barrier? Is it an academic barrier? There's a reason that they're not coming to class. And this overly simplistic, it's sort of a fixed mindset about students. If they really cared about their learning, they'd be here. Well, mm-hmm. so I think faculty, um, at least at NAU, this is a great teaching institution, um, an amazing place to work with a faculty that really cares about students. So we don't see some of those um, negative stereotypes of faculty on our campus anyway.
0: It's one of those things as you're talking about it I feel a little bit guilty because I know I can I can fall into the trap as as much as my mind knows and believes about about mindset and and our ability to impact it's why I find such meaning in what I do but at the same time I was in the conversation we had on the last episode we were talking about students who have to miss class, I shouldn't say have to, that's an interesting choice of words, but students who miss miss class <laughs> <It does>. to, <laughs> to go to a funeral. And sometimes that's really hard for me to take because grandma passed away and then you're not going to be here for a week and a half or two weeks of a semester and I go grandma would understand it's one of those my cultural my sociological background says first of all I didn't go to school that far away from where I live second of all I don't have the kind of culture in a family that literally the family shuts down and I was never that close to my grandparents so all three of these biases that I have mess me up when dealing with stuff like that and at the same time can a student really survive slash thrive if they're going to miss two to three weeks of school. So I, I'm sorry for asking you to be my therapist today, but, but I, I struggle with well, it. I, it's hard.
1: We, we struggle with those same issues. When a student really disappears for a while, how do you um, get them back on track quickly um, when they've missed so much? And what happens to the integrity of the work? I mm-hmm. think faculty do struggle with that. Um, the integrity of the classroom experience And and two weeks is quite a significant portion of the semester. So it's unfortunate that grandma died. However, the integrity of the experience has now been impacted. And I think those are very different questions.
0: Does your work ever have you engaging with parents, or is that someone else's role at your institution?
1: Um, I do get to engage with parents from time to time, especially right now as the semester starts. Um, I've been talking to parents quite a bit. So, yes.
0: Trying to maybe educate them ever on the idea of mindset and some of the things they can do to help their their students thrive we don't I don't necessarily use that term with the
1: parents as much as um, I never use the term child with the parents Mm -hmm. I use your student your student your student or our student Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're mine and yours and I think that helps contextualize the conversation. Um, we're not talking about your child anymore. We're talking about this independent, you know, young adult um, who's a student. Mm-hmm. So how can, we help, um, how can we help get them resources, get them information? I see the problem. What can I do to support both of you? So a lot of what I do with parents is coaching them how to coach their student. Um, and that's, that seems to work. I haven't experienced the crazy helicoptering and I I talk to parents quite a bit.
0: Mm, that's uh, wonderful.
1: Generally speaking, they, they just wanna know. They just wanna know what's going on and they wanna do what's in the best interest of their student. And so a lot of this answering basic questions about academic policies helps them understand the, the landscape and then I do think for the most part they guide their students to making the decisions.
0: What I'm hearing a lot in your language and, and you just use this word, but is the idea of framing and instead of using the word mindset and trying to go on a whole, you know, let me review my part of my dissertation for you. <laughs> you know, instead of doing that, I hear you saying just framing the language when my students come to me and say, I'm not a good test taker. I say, gosh, let's let's reframe that a little bit. How about I'm working on becoming a better test taker? And that kind of lifts a little bit of that stress.
1: Exactly. So what parts of test taking are you good at? What are the performance barriers? Where can you improve this? Can we can we figure out what those problems are so that we can address them?
0: One of the things I know comes up a lot for faculty is just feeling the sense of overwhelm. There are so many students and They have such diverse needs and we want to help. I mean, anyone listening to this podcast desperately wants to support and help our students. When there gets to be large numbers of students, are there ideas that you have for how we as faculty might have an impact on mindset when it seems like it's not going to be those one-on-one helping an individual student frame things better? I
1: think my number one strategy there would be to normalize health seeking behavior, um, that most campuses are fairly rich in academic resources, supplemental instruction, tutoring, um, learning skills specialists out of the Student Learning Center. We have tutoring available in our residence halls, writing centers, math centers, um, so office hours, peers. recitations, all of these things are are pretty much part of of most of the higher ed landscape. Um, But students don't go. I think I I mentioned earlier, help-seeking behavior is is a big deal. And so if you can normalize help-seeking behavior that that in order to succeed, you have to ask questions, you have to be willing to go and seek assistance and advocate for yourself um, and how to do that, how to show up at office hours. Making that okay, telling stories of when they went to tutoring, having successful students come back and and doing a quick profile. I wasn't doing well either, but here's what I did to do better, and here's the resources that I used. Um, I think that all goes a long way when one-on-one individual help is not possible in some of those large lecture sections.
0: I crack up sometimes because I I have a a tendency to get forgetful about what it was like for me when I was in college who never went to see a professor in any of my classes until I was failing a class. And I didn't fail any classes, but that one I thought I might. And so (laughs) that's what got me, that desperation got me to his office. But so I try to remember that. I try to get in touch with that and go, okay, remember how you were and try to make it a little bit more welcoming. So sometimes I might even talk with students about what office hours might look like. We don't actually have to sit in my office. I'd be glad to buy you a cup of coffee at the Starbucks that we can walk to. That's five minutes from our campus. And and just so that they, oh, and it it kind of, and you don't have to know what we're going to talk about. We could just talk about life. And and I think that has helped create a more welcoming environment sometimes for students. At least that's what they've told me.
1: Absolutely. I I have a similar story I share with with students when I'm teaching about a course that I was almost failing and, and that last-ditch effort to reach out to the faculty member, that, that really did not go well because I had waited so long. Um, so he didn't think that was necessarily very genuine. Um, but but absolutely. And and as well as, yeah, you don't have to know why you're coming or bring your book, bring your notes bring um, mm-hmm. the problem and show me exactly where you're stuck. Um, some of those kinds of things. I don't think it's obvious. You know, I was talking to a colleague the other day this is really the first context in which you have an 18-year-old showing up at somebody's workplace, knocking on their office door. Um, so why would they necessarily know how to do that? <laughs> to interrupt a professional in their office. Yep. That's actually, those are actually professional skills. So why would we think students at 18 would know how to do that? Nothing is
0: intuitive
1: to this group, necessarily. The, the shift between high school and college is pretty big.
0: What have I not asked you about mindset that we should be sure and talk about before we close the episode?
1: You know, the retention and student success literature is very consistent in that students come and arrive with lots of incoming characteristics, their background, their gender, their race, orientation, preparedness, all these things. None of these things have to be overcome in order for them to be successful. Rather, there are processes in which the student engages with the university, the processes, is how they deploy effort, how they engage in learning, how they use resources and those help-seeking behaviors we talked about. That's what really defines student success regardless of how they showed up at our door. It's these processes by which they engage in all of those different things throughout the college experience. And so I always push when I... I'm fortunate to talk to anybody, including this great experience, is that those processes can be influenced, guided, mentored, coached, and taught. So we can guide, teach students explicitly, what is the process of learning? What is the process of engaging with me during office hours? What is the process of showing up at a new student organization? How does that look? Are you scared to walk into a room of people you don't know? Um, How do we coach students? How do you mentor students? Um, But again, making that explicit, because when we make those processes explicit, we're making effort explicit. And we're saying everyone can grow if you engage in the right process.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about mindset. And I know we actually have a few things to share in the recommendation segment that I'm excited about. First of all, I saw about... Trying to remember how I first came across this, but I, I saw someone on Twitter talking about a TED talk by Brian Stevenson. We need to talk about injustice. And that's going to be my recommendation for today. And it was absolutely such a wonderful talk, only to come to find out that actually he wrote a book that is quite popular. I just had missed it so far called Just Mercy. And you have a little bit to share about his book as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to recommend today watching that TED Talk. And since I haven't read the book yet, I'm going to pass it on to you to share a little bit about his book, Just Mercy.
1: So oh, I am always happy to recommend uh, Brian Stevenson's work to anyone. Thank you. One thing I left out in what, what my department does we do all these wonderful student success initiatives and courses, but we also are fortunate to house our campus's common reading program. And so this year we have selected Just Mercy as our 2015 read and we are thrilled to be welcoming um, Mr. Stevenson to campus in October. The book itself um, has a lot of great themes in it about social justice, racial inequality issues, about some of those differences within our judicial system, within our prison system. So it it touches in a beautiful interdisciplinary way uh, across all over the campus uh, about all those issues. But Brian also, um, in the book, does a beautiful job really focusing on the notion of resiliency and and growth. Um, that we have to change the narrative about um, the U.S. and our treatment of others, but about also ourselves um, and to be hopeful um, and do better. And so when he talks about some of these individuals who have really struggled um, he reminds us all about our humanity, that we're all bigger than our biggest mistake. We're all more than that really bad thing that we've done. And certainly, I'm not equating academic probation to murder Mm -hmm. um, because those are two different types of mistakes. But I think students are going to see some of that similarity um, in there, that we're all bigger than any bad thing that we've done, and resiliency is, is key to being successful.
0: I'll put a link.
1: Oh, sorry. Oh, go right ahead. The other piece of the the book that I think is just so profound is he, in this really beautiful way, talks about how we need to reach across the table to provide hope to others and to allow them to recover from mistakes, um, as well as the implied message there is recovering from our own mistakes and having hope for ourselves.
0: It sounds like a wonderful book and one that I'm definitely adding to my to read list. I'm also going to post a link to the Chronicle blog that I found that talks about your freshman reading group as well as others. And it sounded like this is a very popular group for institutions to have adopted for their reading groups.
1: Uh, the book has been, yes, he has, has been fortunate to get a lot of adoptions this year. I think he's up to 12 or so different campuses that we know of. It's it's always a little hard to track how many campuses have chosen a specific book. Uh, probably the publisher has a better handle on that, which is uh, Penguin Random House. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a popular program in higher education and definitely a theme that is touched on regardless of the book that's chosen, a lot of campuses will choose a book that does hit that sort of identity development um, type of theme. How are we growing as individuals?
0: Well, thanks for sharing about the reading group, and I'd also just love to hear what your recommendation is for people listening today.
1: Be kind to students, maybe, my my recommendation. Don't make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they do have interesting stories, lots of performance barriers. Most of them are trying I think, harder than we realize, but not always putting their effort in the right place. And so I think there's a a lot of good work we can do in in gently guiding them to different resources, different strategies, um, if we can get that, create that safe space to have that conversation.
0: Such good advice. And since I have like two minutes before I let you or, st- or stop recording on the episode, and I you keep using this language performance barriers, let's just spend a couple more minutes. Could you even give us a couple more examples of that's such a powerful reframing for us instead of me saying this, how do I transition? You know, they you gave an example earlier, but now it's lost on me that, you know, they didn't show up or they're not doing this, all those sort of negative things, how do we start changing our language to have it be about performance barriers? Can you give us just a couple more examples?
1: Well, I think we used to just ask really blunt questions. Um, Why didn't you come to class? Uh, Mm. And so we reach out with emails and we use an internal um, messaging system with our students. And we very much say, I I noticed you weren't here. What can I do to help you when you get back? Anything I need to know. Mm. Um, So it's, We reframe it right then, which I think opens the door to a student saying, I have this problem. Um, Or if if I'm in direct conversation, it's because why didn't you come to class almost feels like an attack. They know they weren't supposed to be there. We all know they were supposed to be there. Mm So instead it's, I noticed you weren't there. What happened that you couldn't get here? What was the performance barrier? It, it's it's more of a strength-based model than a deficit model to focus on barriers. Um, and, and it's also a strategy. It's a self-regulated model. If I can identify what I'm doing wrong, then I have a shot at matching that to the right strategy to doing it better next time. I've so had, it's very much a problem-solving
0: approach. I've had so many lessons in the last 10 years. Just, I'm starting my 10th year of teaching, and just, just the power of not making assumptions but to me that's a daily battle that's not something I've just I've already checked the box and I'm good and moving on to other lessons in life it is a daily battle for me and I still remember as you were talking there was a young man in the class I didn't know him too terribly well but I'd had him in a one unit class a couple of years back and he's in my class for maybe a month or so and got an email from him and I get so many emails every day and it's going I'm not going to be there. I probably won't make it back by Monday. And I'm skimming as I'm reading hundreds of emails or whatever. And I thought, and my mind just goes into the, the trap of just, here's another student who's Family decided to take them on a vacation to Hawaii in the middle of a semester (laughs) and doesn't understand all this. And and it turned out, unfortunately, I didn't make the mistake of emailing and saying, Why are you not coming to class? But it turned out he was going home to be with his mother who was dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And she died that weekend. And again, I I don't mean to tell such a dramatic story other than you can imagine that it haunts me, but in a good way, because I didn't go with my initial script reaction and I waited. And I asked questions like anything I need to know. And, and it did turn out that that's where he was. And I was able to, I mean, thank goodness he was able to make it through the semester and surrounded by friends and is, is coming back in the fall. I'll see him this week. So, yeah. Right.
1: We had a colleague do a talk for us on emerging adulthood. And one of the statistics he shared was that 70% of students in, in this college age range, and I'm not sure the band of that study I'm probably... Vaguely quoting, but that but seventy percent of our students don't believe they're adults,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yet probably a hundred percent of the faculty believe they're adults. <laughs> yeah, and so there there's really this mismatch, and we make these assumptions um, about why students are here or not here and what they're doing, and we make these assumptions that they're acting like adults. They 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 don't believe they're adults.
0: And sometimes they're not quite equipped to be them yet, but we could be some small part in them growing into that too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes I use that language. My job is to help you be what you want to be when you grow up, and that may only be three units of a 120-unit degree plan, um, but I'm three units of you becoming what you want to be when you grow up. So how's how's this going to look in, in this 15 weeks together?
0: Well, I'm so glad you were able to carve time out of your very busy schedule preparing to train student leaders this coming week and, and then launching into your semester. And I was down ill and had to cancel on you. I mean, you've just been so flexible. And I'm so glad to have had you on the show. And just thank you so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. It was so great to talk to Rebecca on the show today about growth mindset. And she was sharing after I stopped recording about how it can be great to teach growth mindset to students explicitly, and then they can actually even start calling each other out on it in the classroom. And she says her faculty have all been trained on it, too, and they'll start calling each other out on it, too. So I think that's great. I'm going to be calling myself out on it this year as I challenge myself to incorporate some of these things. Thanks for listening today, and... Thanks for all of your support of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. If you have any ideas for future episodes or guests, please do that at teachinginhigred.com slash feedback. Or you can always catch me on Twitter at Bonnie B-O-N-N-I-208. I'll tell you the story of how that came about someday, but not right now in the closing fifteen seconds that I have left. <laughs> to record this episode. If you have yet to subscribe to the weekly email, that'll get all the show notes from every every episode along with an article each week on teaching or productivity. Thanks for listening. Oh, you can subscribe at com slash subscribe. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.